Welcome in to another Saturday edition of our pregame show with Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. Go on out to Mama's Tamale Shop, located at 9th in Louisiana. The 105.9 KISS crew going to be at Mama's from noon to 2 o'clock. This show will take you from noon to 1 o'clock, and then uh, pregame coverage will take over from the IMG side of things here on KLWN from 1 to 2.30 with kickoff between KU and Baylor then. But at Mama's Tamale Shop, not only are you going to get free stuff from the KISS crew, and there are... KU tickets to be had if you get there in a timely manner. There's only so many available. We had a couple people who tried to get there. They were a little late last time. Don't be late. Be early. They also have $2 tacos at Mama's Tamale Shop all day today. And uh, also tamales and empanadas, fresh-made salsas, four different flavors of margaritas. They have an outdoor patio with coverage. You can watch the other college football games on their TVs out there while you eat some of those $2 tacos. I mean, heck, if you go into the stadium... It's going to cost you like 10 bucks to get a pretzel. Might as well <laughs> use that 10 bucks to get like five tacos or something. So, Scott Jason, I'm Derek Johnson. KU taking on Baylor today. They come off their first loss of the season to Coastal Carolina after they beat South Dakota in the season opener. It's weird because KU didn't cover the spread. They lost by 27 points in that game. But at least myself, I came away from it thinking more positively of this team. Yeah, well, hold on a sec, because okay. the spread, they did cover it. It just depends where well, you got yeah. it. The spread <laughs> opened at 27 and a half points. I said this on my TV show, Derek. We both said that was too many points. And you know what? I hate to say it. We were 100 million percent correct on that. It was exactly half too many of a point. But no, I, I agree with you. Look, I, I think if you look at how that game played out and you actually look at the details of that game, which was, by the way, a six point game in the third quarter. Kansas went 0 of 5 on fourth down and lost by 27. Now, what that 0 of 5 tells you, uh, you aren't going for it on fourth down unless you're in a position to maybe score some points. In fact, three of those fourth down conversions came to replace field goal attempts. So think for a second, how would you just feel if Kansas had scored the extra point it missed, the two-point conversion, that would have been an extra point if they hadn't missed the first one, and you add in three field goals. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a team that scored 35 points, right, or 34 points or whatever, and I think you probably feel pretty good about Kansas then, and you say, well, you know, Kansas lost by two touchdowns to Coastal Carolina uh, and played well. Obviously, there were some mistakes that made things look more lopsided. Special teams will get into that. The defense needs to play better. It needs to come up with some stops, but I I think where Kansas fans were The first two drives of the second half, Kansas gets like a three-and-out stop and then goes and scores a touchdown. If you're a Kansas fan, in that moment, you feel better about your team than you've probably felt about Kansas in how long? I mean, since 2018, 2019 maybe, I guess, so maybe not that many years. But still, it's been a while since you said, hey, this is a team that actually might win some games. I saw people on Twitter saying they think Kansas is going to win three or four games now. So I think that tells you the state of the fan base and what that game meant to them. Yeah, I mean, it's a top-20 team. You were playing them on the road. It was their largest attendance ever at a game. It was their first time hosting a Power 5 school, so they were pretty rowdy and excited for that game. And you were in it. You were competitive. You were entertaining. And that's a big part of it. We hear that all the time, you know. And that's the first step. Like, I think of Matt Campbell's, I I think, first year at Iowa State. I think they only went 2-10, and 3-9. But they had a lot of games that they were in. They had a lot of games they were competitive in. And usually that's the first step. It's go from being a team who's just getting just doormatted every game to being one that's competitive. Maybe you don't see it in the wins, losses. And then usually in a year or two, you get that kind of jump from being that to being a team who maybe can make a bowl game. And that that's the right first step for KU. So the fact that you made it entertaining for any fan who was watching the game, you watched that game deep into the third quarter thinking, oh, I mean, 
We have a chance. Yeah. We have a chance. It's 28-22. It's 35-22, and we're about to go in. And really, until Velton Gardner dropped that pass, it felt like this was going to be kind of a game that you know, was going a little bit back and forth. That was kind of the final yeah. nail in the coffin. I, I would agree. And, and again, 0 for 5 on fourth down, you have to start converting those, right? You can't just never convert one of them and then expect to win a game. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they, they were – they were right there in terms of the margins. Now, that doesn't mean they were right there in the final score because they obviously they were not. They lost by 27. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I remember games in the David Beatty era. Uh, I think a 42-30. to 30, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I might be off by a point or two here or there. But I think a 42-30 to 30 loss to Ohio where they scored a touchdown on the game's final play. They didn't get to kick the extra point even. Like, games like that that it was like, this game was never close. They scored a garbage-time touchdown at the end to make it closer. Central Michigan, there was a loss, I want to say, 45-27 that was, like, very similar. Garbage-time touchdown right at the end. And, and and then you look at that and say, that's not what being competitive is. Contrast that with this game, which grew a, a big way in the in the fourth quarter, but at the same time, I think you would argue that this was closer. Quick point on Lance Leipold. First year at Buffalo, 5-7. and seven. Second year, 2-10. and ten. And that's when questions started to be, you know, started to get asked about his offense, about his philosophies. Is Lance Leipold going to work at Buffalo? You know, they had bowl eligibility every single season from that point on. So uh, I think sometimes it is a building process that isn't necessarily linear, but I think in some ways Les Miles kind of knocked out that non-linear stage when he had his first good year, then the start of the rebuild. And now I do think there will be progress through the Lance Leipold era as compared to, you know, step forward, step back, two step forwards, uh, or two steps forward, I should say. I, th- I think it'll be more linear going forward. He's Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll continue on with our pregame show for KU taking on Baylor and going out to Mama's Tamale Shop. Welcome back into our pregame show as we get ready for KU kickoff going out to Mama's Tamale Shop. I'm Derek Johnson with Scott Chase and the 105.9 KISS crew out at Mama's. Uh, the team that KU's playing today, the Baylor Bears, and KU has not had a good past history with the Baylor Bears. They've lost the last 11 games. The average score is 48-12. to 12. All but one of the games have been decided by 19 points or more. Yeah. Now, I don't know what to think of Baylor this year because you're coming off a 2-7 and seven season. But you bring back a lot. You bring back 10 starters on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at who they played so far, they beat Texas State, who's not supposed to be that good of a team. You barely beat them. And then last week, you get a huge win by score. But, like, I saw uh, Bill Connolly, who does the ESPN SP+, released an SP+, that had, and this is like a rating system, basically the Ken Palm of college football, that involved both FBS and FCS teams in there. And in, like, the bottom five or seven of the entire country of both mm-hmm. was Texas Southern. So this is basically the equivalent of when KU played Rhode Island for what Baylor got to play last week yeah. against Texas Southern. So I, I don't know how much stock you put into that, but, like, when you look at the Baylor stats, you're like, wow, they're averaging eight yards a carry. But I don't know how much you can put into that. So what worries you most if you were viewing this from a Kansas lens about what Baylor's bringing in? I think what worries me is kind of what you just spoke about. Like, you maybe have an idea of how Baylor wants to play. I, I think their, you know, Kansas's coordinators talked about this just because the Texas State game to start the year was a little bit closer. It was a nine-point game. So you actually got to see a little bit of what, you know, Baylor is going to look like. But there are playmakers on the offensive side of the ball that, like you talked about, you don't really have that comparable kind of vision of what does this look like when they play a team that they hope in Kansas is is up to Big 12 caliber. I mean, Gary Bohannon, his numbers last game, he had six incompletions, threw for 250 yards, and had five total touchdowns, right? You have two running backs who you mentioned. 
I believe both are over or one is over eight yards a carry and one has one carry away from being over eight yards per carry. And, and I think they've combined for like five touchdowns too. So it's just, it, it's kind of tricky to under or to know and have this idea of like, oh, this will be a, a, you know, a wide zone team. I think they will run wide zone. Uh, Brian Borland or excuse me, Andy Kotelnicki and Brian Borland both talked about similarities this week just between Kansas and Baylor and, and maybe style of play and stuff like that. But you just don't know. I, I think Gary Bohannon is mobile. I saw some mobile stuff he did in the last game. But at the same time, is he going to run it 20 times against Kansas? Like, I don't think so. But I think there's just so much unknown. I think that's the biggest challenge going into this game, that you know there are playmakers on the other side. You just don't know exactly what level they are right now. Yeah, I, I don't know really anything about the offense, to be completely honest, just because of the idea of, you know, who you've played, and, and it is kind of that question mark. Now, I do feel confident that the Baylor defense is going to be really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. They were good last year. They've been good, and you bring back the 10 starters. Terrell Bernard at the linebacker position is an absolute beast. He could end up being an All-American this year. Uh, they're going to be good there, and that's a challenge for KU. The most points they've scored since 2010 on Baylor is 14 points mm-hmm. in a game. So that's obviously a challenge. But, yeah, uh, the biggest key to me is is what does that Baylor offense look like with that attempt to play the wide zone running game? You bring in the offensive coordinator from BYU in the offseason to come over, but you actually had the spring to be able to implement your wide zone, whereas KU is not. So you're going to probably see a difference there as you have so far this season. Yeah, It's just a question to me of how much can the KU defense keep this a game? Because I'm not expecting KU to score a lot of points against that Baylor defense. It's how good really is this Baylor offense and how good can the KU defense match up against them? Well, I think that's the case in part, too, because Baylor is not exactly, at least we don't expect at this point, that Baylor is going to be a world-beating, you know, number one, number two, Big 12 kind of contender. Uh, Obviously, despite, you know, the the major, major blowout, you talked about level of competition just last week against Texas Southern. Um, So I I think that is is kind of why this becomes the storyline for this game, just like... where Kansas is at in its development, especially with wide zone, especially offensively, and I guess on the flip side, defensively too, how does that match what maybe a slightly more established Big 12 program? I mean, Dave Aranda has been there, but he was dealing with the COVID season last year, so uh, it wasn't exactly the same. I'm intrigued to see what they look like at quarterback. You know, they don't have Charlie Brewer there for the first time in, you know, what felt like six decades. I don't know about you. I was <laughs> I was surprised uh, when I, I forget when news broke that he was transferring. Maybe that was something Baylor people knew about. I would I was like Charlie Brewer Bear, Baylor. That's always been it's like Brock Purdy at Iowa State, Charlie Brewer at Baylor, Sam Ellinger at Texas. Like those have been the guys. Obviously, Sam Ellinger's in the NFL now, but like those have been the guys that have been there just forever. And it's like, oh, you expect to see them. So. Um, I am curious. Now, I don't think it's the same Baylor team you've seen. Uh, I remember the closest game in that series you were talking about. I believe it was a 26-7 to loss, uh, that 19-point game. Um, yeah, most of them have been like 60-6 to or 49-14 to or something. Even last year. Yeah. It was a blowout, and Baylor won two games last year. Yeah, and, and granted, it, that one was early in the season. Um, but at the same time, I Kansas, you have to expect, is going to close the margin in a big way. They may not win this game, but... I would be relatively shocked if this is a 35-point game or something like that. I, I think Kansas has closed the gap at least enough for that. He's Scott Chasen. I'm Derek Johnson. More with our pregame show after this break. Going out to Mama's Tamale Shop. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. This is KLWN's pregame show. Pregame before the pregame, which you can hear right here on KLWN. Going out to Mama's Tamale Shop. 
The 105.9 KISS crew is there with free stuff to give away. And you can also get $2 tacos at Mama's Tamale Shop all day today on your Saturday. Scott Chasen joins me. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. So let's go through some storylines for this game with KU taking on Baylor. Your top three storylines. Go ahead and give me your first one. We'll go back and forth. Yeah, my number one, and, and this is not to use an Andy Kotelnicki thing because he loves to say that things are not the sexiest thing. Uh, what does the wide zone scheme look like for Kansas? It's definitely <laughs> not been sexy so far. Yeah, well, what's the grasp of it uh, from the offensive line? What do, what do the running backs do? Do they understand the concepts? You know, I, I had someone kind of chirp at me on Twitter because I mentioned Velton Gardner, and uh, it was one of these plays where he probably would have lost a yard, lost two yards. The, the play got kind of blown up on a wide zone, and, and there was nothing he could do about it. But he tried to bounce the ball outside and get around a tackle, and he ended up losing eight yards. And I tweeted, that's not what they want him to do. And someone sent, you know, a message back to me and said, well, hey, he's trying to make a play, and, and don't dog the kid like that. And, you know, do you think the offensive coordinator just wants him to give up? And I would say to that, yes. Like, they, <laughs> they have in this KU offense. It's called, like, the rule of zero, which is if the worst thing that happens in a play is you're back at the line of scrimmage, you didn't gain any, any yards, but you didn't lose any, like, that's okay because you're not in a negative. And, and Andy Kotelnicki has talked about that a ton, that it's okay to get three yards. It's okay sometimes to get no yards. What you can't do is get negative eight yards or negative five yards because that makes it so much more predictable, which he said leads to a lot of the sack problems they had was KU getting into these situations where everyone knows what they're going to do, and then it also just makes it harder to pick up that many yards. So what does the wide zone look like? Can the running backs grasp it better? Offensive line, can they play better? To me, number one storyline in this game. I want to see what Kansas's, specifically Kansas's wide zone looks like. I think it's interesting, too, because, I mean, whether you like it or not, some people are going to look at it as, well, Baylor's wide zone looks like that, and it's very different, and I don't think there should be comparisons, yeah. but some people might make those comparisons if Baylor looks a lot more impressive with their wide zone than Kansas does, which to this point in the season has occurred. The number one storyline for me is special teams, and speaking of things that aren't sexy, the special teams, that's not a sexy thing to pick, but here's why it's number one for me. Uh, last year, that game was 47-14, to 14, mm -hmm. and... A big reason why was Baylor returned two kickoffs for touchdowns. Yeah. Tristan Ebner ran two back, and that th those types of plays change a game. We saw it against Coastal Carolina, the pump block return for a touchdown. That can't happen. Now, what's interesting for KU is, and I know me saying, well, besides that one play, because that was the biggest play to happen yeah. in the special teams this year, but outside of that one play, they actually have been good on special teams this year. If you look at ESPN+, Plus, SB+, Plus, if you look at Pro Football Focus, like their top 40 special teams units, um, if they can get back to what they look like in South Dakota, which was having positive plays as opposed to having those negative plays, and you get rid of the two return touchdowns for Baylor last yeah. year, and maybe you can come up with some positives there, that's a big swing in this game. Yeah, well, besides one bad day, uh, the city of Pompeii is flourishing. <laughs> it's just absolutely lovely mountain, I believe, that you can go. I've been and... to Pompeii. <laughs> yeah, it well, is beautiful, yeah. Uh, there you go. So, uh, no, but I, I agree with you. I think uh, special teams is obviously, I mean, how many times do we hear Les Miles emphasize it? Think about all the greatest coaches in football at every level. And and by the way, now, like hiring special teams coaches to be your head coach is like a thing that happens. I mean, you, you can look at John Harbaugh. Harbaugh yeah. you, know, you can look at, uh, what, Joe Judge uh, out in New York. Now, obviously, I don't know if we should mention I was going to say some working better than <laughs> yeah. others, but uh, you know that's the thing. Um, why don't you go with your second storyline because okay. it kind of ties in. Ooh, with a little snake draft yes. here. Uh, let's go with running back playing time, which 
you know, last week it was more of an even split. Velton Gardner had 30 snaps. Devin Neal had 28. The week before, Devin Neal had one carry. Yeah. And it was pretty much all Velton Gardner with some late mixes in with Tory Lachlan. Tory Lachlan played a little. And then you also had the late element, which was, hey, where was Amori Pesic Hicks in? I thought he was going to play this week. Oh, I guess he's out. No, wait. Here he comes late in the game. Yeah. That was kind of odd. So, uh, really how everybody meshes together, but most of all, I'm interested to see how much Devin Neal plays. Yeah. I thought Devin Neal outplayed Velton Gardner last week. I thought Velton Gardner struggled a little bit in week one as well. I wonder if it's just a continued split or if we see more this week where Devin Neal goes from a continual progressive line to where he is now the guy, or maybe if Amori Pesic Hickson gets more. Here's the issue in my mind right now if you're Velton Gardner. You could argue still that he's a more effective runner than Devin Neal, although I would argue so far this year not so much because, again, of what I talked about, grasp of the wide zone and when to try and make a play and when to give up on a play. Devin Neal has shown himself to be a better blocker, even as a true freshman. I think it's been incredibly impressive than Velton Gardner. And a better blocker than both of them has been Tory Lachlan, who, to me, on, on multiple plays in each game, two plays on the, on the late drive in the first game and then uh, on one of Jason Bean's touchdowns, he had a great block. Um, he shows that ability too. I think he becomes like a third down back almost type of guy. So if you're Velton Gardner, you have to be not only better as a blocker, but you're still, you know, maybe not going to get to the level of those other two guys. You have to be so much better as a runner that the blocking part of it doesn't even matter. And and so I think that's where he's at. He's got to kind of grow in that grasp. I, I agree. I think it'll be interesting. I think there are a bunch of names, and, and that's like you mentioned, without even Amari Pesic-Hickson getting back into this mix. That's with Daniel Hyshaw being, what, out for the season. So um, I think there are a lot of interesting names. My second one kind of ties within that. I want to see what this KU offense looks like regarding Jason Bean. He had the injury scare. How does Kansas maybe accommodate that for the offensive line? Is it more running back blocking? Is it more, uh, you know, more tight ends, more, I don't know, 12 personnel when you leave guys into block or, or something like that? How do they protect Jason Bean after his first injury scare? Because, Derek, this is something we talked about all last year while Jalen Daniels was playing. And the conversation was, you know, why not play the young guy? What's the... Uh, you know, there's no downside to getting a true freshman in there. And I think the thing myself and others said was, if he's getting hit 10, 15 times a game, he's going to get injured and he's going to get that in his head. And and that's what we've heard about this year, that he had some issues with what was described by a coach as PTSD from last year, that he couldn't trust his offensive line. You, I don't think you have to worry about that with Jason Bean because I think he's a, he's a veteran. He's been around. I think he's in his junior uh, season of eligibility. But... You got to keep him safe. You got to keep him upright. You got to protect him. Uh, you got to keep him healthy. How much does Kansas trust him to run? How much does Kansas let him air it out? Uh, I'm very curious to see what they do with him because what he showed last game, he had one throw where he was moving to his left, threw across his body, deep downfield to Trevor Wilson, I believe. Um, this is a guy who can make any throw and who can run really, really fast. He's way more mobile, I would say, even than Gary Bohannon, the, the Baylor quarterback. So what do they trust him to do, and what can they do to keep him upright? That would be my next storyline. Okay, what's your last one? Uh, the young secondary. Mm -hmm. uh, pass interference in the end zone twice was called. I, I thought both calls were questionable last game, but it were, you know, a lot of times it was young secondary guys or newcomers. I guess I could, uh, I should include Jeremy Webb in that. Um, I think Romello Dotson, I think Deuce Mayberry, I think those guys need to show more. Deuce Mayberry caught a couple times playing way too off a guy, a lot of catch. I want to see what Jacoby Bryant looks like. He's been shaky, in my view, through two games. Uh, and that, I guess you could extend to the positive level. Uh, the freshman backup safeties have been pretty electric um, and, and have done things well, although Jason Gilliam had a couple issues with missed tackles uh, that maybe he needs to clean up too. So um, I think those would be 
uh, the or that would be the third area. That young secondary, what it looks like, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, they have a lot of talent, but they are very, very inexperienced. All right, the last one I'm going to go with, what does the attendance look like? Um, it hit about 26,000 in the first game against South Dakota. Does it end up with over that or under that? On one hand, you have a Saturday game. It's also not an 11 a.m. game, so that helps. It's a 2.30 game, so I would think there should be good attendance. And, again, you're coming off a loss that it wasn't like a, ah, man, screw this. It was kind of almost encouraging, and you won the game before that. So I actually think this could be good attendance. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit 30,000 on the attendance here. I'm interested to see what that looks like. Yeah, uh, in lieu of my mannequin day, I, I think you could see a lot of faces. I, I think you could see a lot of people. Derek, people are excited about this team. I think that is the one. I that that might be my biggest takeaway coming off Coastal Carolina is people are a believer in the Lance Leipold process. So absolutely, I agree with you. He's Scott Chasen. I'm Derek Johnson. More for our KLWN pregame show brought to you by Mama's Tamale Shop. Going out two dollar tacos all day here on KLWN. Depend on it. Go on out to Mama's Tamale Shop. The 105.9 Kiss Crew going to be there till 2 o'clock. But you can go all day because it's $2 tacos. Everything they have food-wise is made fresh daily. You can try one of the fresh waters if you're thirsty. If you want a little something in that drink, get one of their four different flavors of margaritas. And, uh, yeah, go on out to the outdoor patio and check out some other college football games. You get ready to go into the KU game. Yeah, if I could just workshop a quick slogan for them. Mm. Come on out. We have Miss Pac-Man. Uh, yes, that was something I remarked have. after our, our last time there. Miss Pac-Man, the all-time, in my opinion, just mm-hmm. my opinion, GOAT arcade game, Miss Pac-Man. So I'm a big fan. You oogled over Miss Pac-Man. I oogled over NBA Jam was at Mama's Tamale yeah. Shop. I love those. The old NBA Jam and the old NFL Blitz games, those are top-tier and sports NBA games. Jam is a classic, mm-hmm. no doubt. I just like Miss Pac-Man because it's like faster Pac-Man, mm-hmm. which... I think the ghosts move the same speed. I just think you move faster. So like <laughs> so it's, it's easier. It's so much know. more fun. Miss Pac-Man is it, it is the all-time goat arcade game, in my opinion. He is Scott, Miss Pac-Man supporters, Chasen. I am Derek, <laughs> NBA Jam Star Johnson. That's what they call um, us. Yeah. Everybody knows us by that, that's for sure. Um as far as players to watch for this game, we're gonna focus on KU players to watch. I should mm-hmm. probably clarify here. Uh I'll let you go first. Who is the player you're most interested to see? In today's game. Yeah, I think Blinky, the ghost. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I think Kyron Johnson is the number mm. one player I'm excited to watch. And look, there are more exciting names. Mm. Uh, we'll get to some of them, guys who have done more. But no one has done their job better consistently than Kyron Johnson, who is great in the first game and good in the second game. This is a guy who has taken to that rush end spot, that fourth defensive lineman. He's still doing some principles of an outside linebacker. I actually talked about that with him recently. But... Uh, I, I think he's taken to this new role. He has a, about a sack and a half. I think he had a recovered fumble last game, forced to fumble in the first game. This is a guy who's hit some of those goals that he put out for himself. Really excited to see what he looks like against a Big 12 team because he looks like he's going to be a problem throughout the season for opponents. All right, if Kyron Johnson is Blinky the Ghost because he's the one chasing after Miss Pac-Man, <laughs> then Miss Pac-Man would have to be somebody who's on offense, which would be Devin Neal, <laughs> a running back. He's running away from all the different ghosts. Uh, Devin Neal, as I mentioned with the running back playing time, uh, he got a big jump in playing time from week one to week two. I think he could take even another jump because yeah. I think he should be playing a little bit more than Velton Gardner. And it's not to say that you're just getting rid of all Velton Gardner playing time. He's still going to play, and he should still play. But I think Devin Neal should, instead of it being a 50-50 split or maybe slightly behind, he should get more time. So I'm interested to see what that looks like because he did have a pretty solid first game. And, you know, if you look at, like, the rushing totals and, and the rushing average, it doesn't jump off the page. But also, he had that first drive where he had, what, five straight carries down at the goal line. And when you're down at the goal line, 
that's not going to help you get six yards of carry, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think those numbers would have gone up there. If he does well in the pass-blocking game or in the receiving game, then that just adds another thing to this young freshman. And it feels like to me, as this season goes on, Devin Neal is going to continue to take steps forward. So I'm interested to see what he looks like against a really good Baylor defense. Now, I asked Lance Leipold if he would play more and, and continue to expand. And Lance Leipold, as he answers a lot of things, was like, we'll see. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to promise anything. But yeah, I have to imagine he's going to be able to take on more and more. Now, if Miss Pac-Man is fast, mm, the, only okay, fa- here we go. the only faster character are the little, like, power-ups that bounce yeah. around the board, like the little pretzel guy or, like, the little, like, the, I think they have a cherry for one and, like, an orange for the other one. Okay. So that would be Jason Bean because Jason <laughs> Bean is the fastest player on the field at all times. Um, I, Look, he has to be a player to watch. What does he do as an encore performance? I, I mentioned the health stuff. You can lump Jalen Daniels in here. What does that quarterback spot look like do they have trust in him to let him air it out Uh, I thought one of the biggest mistakes Kansas made last year is when things started going bad they basically just abandoned plays that took you know took any time to develop and you know they they weren't great at blocking for those plays and giving their quarterbacks time and I understand wanting to protect a young freshman like Jalen Daniels was last year but you have to give your playmakers a chance to kind of game break things you have to scare the defense into adjusting to you and so you know, what the role, I'm more interested in the circumstances around Jason Bean than I am maybe Jason Bean himself, but at the same time, he's got to be a guy you want to watch because you want to see what he's going to do. All right, so if that's all the Miss Pac-Man stuff, then you have the white dots everywhere, right? (laughs) And that's everywhere on the, I don't even know what to call it, screen, I guess. Uh, Rich Miller has been everywhere on the field (laughs) at the linebacker position for KU so far. He's playing all the different linebacker (laughs) spots. He's kind of filled in. He didn't play as much week one as he did week two. Week two, he graded out as one of the best defenders on KU against Coastal Carolina. And I actually thought watching, I was like, you know, it, it didn't running games of struggles defensively overall. But Rich Miller made some nice plays on that defensive side of the ball. He's kind of the same way of Devin Neal. I wonder if that's going to kind of springboard him even to even more playing time. The fact that he has versatility and that he can be all over the field, I think really helps him stay on the field. Yeah, and one thing, the the outside linebackers are asked to kind of play cover corner, nickelback responsibilities at times. I asked him about that this week, and he told me he works out or worked out before coming to, I guess, originally Buffalo with an All-American. Good one with the world. Anything else. Yeah, well, I can think of two things. I can think of one for years if you can't come up with it, but... Uh, you know what happens when you lose the game and there's that button that's just like, all right, let's start the next game. Let's try again. Okay. <laughs> to me, the button is Deuce Mayberry because Deuce Mayberry has had, uh, I think, a tough time in these first two games. He's been kind of thrust into a bigger role, a starting role at cornerback. Um, at, in the first game, I thought Jeremy Webb and Jacoby Bryant looked better than Deuce uh, Mayberry and Romello Dotson. But I, I think Deuce Mayberry has to kind of hit that new game and, and kind of okay, the first two games were what they were, now can I rebound and play better moving forward? That that young secondary, um, you know, which we just talked about, that, that it's such an issue in terms of those guys are going to get exposed because there are just things they haven't seen. Kansas lost every starting snap from a year ago at the two cornerback spots. But can Deuce Mayberry kind of use his size, use the physical tools that even his brother didn't have and kind of take that step forward in coverage? Really interested to see what Deuce Mayberry does. Well, that's why my last guy is going to be Kenny Logan. When you have such a young cornerback room, mm-hmm. having that safety at the back end to kind of patrol things, get them in the right spots, very important. And he has to play a big game. Uh, as in, in the secondary, but also beyond him being out there as a safety yeah. is his role as a kick returner on special teams. I mentioned special teams earlier. That's my number one storyline. 
well in the same way in Pac-Man that you can go, you know, in and out of like the certain areas where you go all the way to the right of the screen and then you, you know, it pushes you out into the left of the screen. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Um, that's what Kenny Logan can do on special teams, darting in and out behind blockers. Yeah. Could you imagine if you could do that, though? You could like run through the back of one end zone, and then you pop out of the other side of the other end zone. Yeah, sidelines would be, I think, a better thing with that. Uh, what you're, <laughs> what you're saying is that Kenny, like, Lo- <laughs> yeah, Sean McVay would send so many players in motion to go all the way to one side of the ball, and then they just pop out of the other side. A hundred percent. But, but what you're saying is you want Kenny Logan to resemble the human joystick, which would yes. have been the the better thing than <laughs> the blank space at the side of the screen. Although I, I, it was a valiant effort to give him a Pac-Man comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so Kenny Logan, I think. Should have a uh, pretty important, pretty important role in this game as he always does. All right, let's get on to our college football look around and picks for this week. Both of us went seven and three in week one, and we actually had I think four different games or five different games that we picked differently. So it just kind of worked out perfectly that we both went seven and three. So the competition is fierce. First up, number eight Cincinnati at Indiana. Uh, well, look, Cincinnati is off to a 2-0 start, two blowout wins. Indiana kind of got exposed. I believe I picked them uh, last week, much to the chagrin of myself and probably no one else. Uh, Desmond Ritter got a second-place Heisman vote last year. Now that, mm. full disclosure, that vote was for me. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to roll with the Heisman vote-getter quarterback. I'm going with Cincinnati. Okay, I'm going Cincinnati as well. And by the way, shout-out to the guy who came to Mama's Tamale Shop last time we did this. And I yes. picked Iowa over Indiana, and he gave me he gave me some grief yeah, he was for not picking Indiana. Mm-hmm. Well... Iowa killed Indiana, so <laughs> eat it. No, but seriously, thank you for coming out. And come out again to Mama's Tamale Shop. Uh, but I'm going to Cincinnati. Number 15, Virginia Tech at West Virginia. Uh, I like Virginia Tech. They uh, handled a Brent Deerman offense that dropped 50 in week one. And uh, they also held, what, North Carolina to 10 points. I, I like Virginia Tech in this one. I'm going to go with West Virginia in the upset. You lost Maryland, but I still think they've got a solid squad this year. I think Virginia Tech is rated too high. They're, they're rated there because they beat North Carolina, but I don't think North Carolina is necessarily that good. So I'll go with Vir- uh, West Virginia in the home game between two teams I think are actually kind of pretty close together. Number 16, Coastal Carolina at Buffalo. This is a battle of Team KU just played versus Lance Leipold's former squad. Yeah, I was going to say teams that KU should be familiar with. I'll go with yeah. Coastal Carolina. Again, a quarterback who got a third-place Heisman vote. I'm not going to say who voted for Tracy uh, <laughs> McCall in the third-place vote on this one. It was also me. Um, I like the mid-major guys, and I like rewarding winning. But nevertheless, uh, obviously, Coastal Carolina impressive against KU. I do think Buffalo has the potential to win this game. I think Coastal Carolina is overrated a little bit. I don't think it's a ton, but I just don't think they're uh, the quality of like a top-20 team in the nation. I think you saw how closely Kansas played them. So by no means a gimme, but I will take Coastal Carolina to win. Yeah, I would agree with you. I actually didn't look at the spread, but I'm comfortable saying I'd take Buffalo with the spread. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, But I am going Coastal Carolina overall. Could you imagine, though, if Buffalo wins this game? Like, is Lance Leipold going to be like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Especially, think about this, the conference realignment folds. Buffalo ends up in the (laughs) SEC. Kansas is on the outside. Yeah, then Lance Leipold is like, oh, my goodness, I've made the greatest mistake of my life. Uh, Michigan State at Miami Battle of the Big Ten and the ACC. I would take whoever was at home in this game, mm-hmm. so I will take Miami. I'm going Miami as well. Michigan State quietly two and zero. They beat Northwestern too in the first week, which is pretty solid win. Miami got blown up by Alabama, barely beat Appalachian State. Yeah. Not too impressive. I still like Miami at home. Purdue at number 12, Notre Dame. It's it's the same way I feel like, again, you're not going to pick against Eric King, and you're not going to pick against Miami unless you really feel like you have a good reason to. That's exactly how I feel about Notre Dame. You're not going to pick against Notre Dame unless you feel like you have a great reason to, so I'll go with Notre Dame. 
Yeah, Notre Dame, I'm going to be picking against them a lot shortly because they've not looked good. They barely beat Florida yes. State, yep. which we've now found out Florida State, very bad. <laughs> well, either that or Jacksonville State, very good. <laughs> yeah, but Jacksonville State lost by like 30 to UAB, who okay. lost by like 60 to Georgia. So, so. UAB, again, very bad, <laughs> yeah, okay, or UAB, okay. transformational. Um, but, and then last week... I'll give this. Uh, like, Toledo could be a team that wins, like, 9, 10 games in yeah. the match. So that's yeah. not, like, a pushover. But they had to come back on Toledo. They probably shouldn't have won that game. Um, Purdue has been actually really impressive so far, 2-0. But I'm not going to pick them to come on the road and win. Here's the issue for Notre Dame. They have a stretch coming up. I think it starts next week and goes through the end of October where they have, like, Wisconsin, USC, Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, and somebody else, all, I think North Carolina. Like, they could legitimately go 0-5 in that stretch. Yeah. I mean, they. I don't think they will, but... They could end up like 4-4 four and four out of that, uh, but I'll pick them to win this one. Number one, Alabama at number 11, Florida. I'm going to do a new bet on this show. I won't say a word of analysis when you ask me to pick an Alabama game. I'm just going to say <laughs> Alabama. I mean, that's probably the right way to do it. I This happens every year. There's an SEC team who plays Alabama in like week four, week five, mm-hmm. starts out 4-0, 3-0. They get ranked like number 12, and it's like, oh, maybe they could have a chance. Yeah. You never know, and they never do. They lose by 40. No, I will say Al- Alabama usually generally plays like one way too close game at Maybe two sometimes. Didn't they have, was it, it wasn't Ole Miss. Was it Mississippi State or something? No, last year was Ole Miss. It was Ole Miss. Ole Miss kept it close. And I remember after the game, the Alabama players, because Ole Miss kept scoring. Yeah. It was just a shootout. And Alabama players said, yeah, Lane Kiffin knew our signs and signals and stuff. So, I don't know. But I I don't think this is the one. No, no. I I would agree with you. I'm I'm taking Alabama comfortably. Same. Yeah, definitely covering the spread. Number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State. Penn State defensively, especially this is going back a few weeks when we last, I think we picked them against Wisconsin, and and I picked Wisconsin. I actually got to watch a, I think I watched that entire game. If I, if not, I watched almost all of it. I was so impressed with what they're building. Obviously, they've got a coach who might be a head coaching candidate at USC, which is uh, interesting to me and James Franklin. I, I really like what Penn State is building. I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions. Okay, everybody's saying James Franklin to USC. So what happens when you go to one of these schools? Disappointment happens. Sure. So disappointment for James Franklin. They lose at home to Auburn. Auburn tends to do well in these non-conference matchups. Like you beat Oregon a couple years ago. I, and this is a battle of like quarterbacks who have been kind of given up on after having some flashes as a young player. Bo Nix for Auburn, Sean Clifford for Penn State. But Bo Nix has actually been pretty good under Brian Harson, who came over from Boise State. And here's the thing. Uh, Brian Harson not afraid to use some trick plays. Sure. And I think he's going to pull out the bag to try to win this game. I'm going to actually take Auburn with the upset here. Virginia at number 21, North Carolina. North Carolina, uh, I think, had higher expectations than it started the year with. The offense looked like a struggle early in that game, what, against Virginia Tech. And and I think all of a sudden there are question marks. Look, they scored 50 last week. I'm going to trust that week one was probably more of an anomaly than anything else. Uh, people have talked about North Carolina as potentially posing a threat to a Clemson. I don't think that's accurate. Not posing a threat as in, like, passing them in the rankings or anything, but at least giving them a challenge if, indeed, those two teams, uh, if and when they do meet this year. So, um, I Give me North Carolina. I don't feel great about it, but I, I think you have to believe in that North Carolina offense, especially at the quarterback spot. I just the issue for me was coming into the year, North Carolina. It was like, wow, they did all this last year. They went to the Orange Bowl. They're competitive with Texas A and M. You know, you were competitive with Notre Dame yeah. in a regular season game. And you have Sam Howell, who might be the first quarterback taken in the draft. That's enough for us. Yeah. But it's like, wait a minute. Did they not lose Deami Brown and Daz Newsome, who are both NFL players sure, now? Did sure. they not just lose two NFL running backs? Like, they lost so much from the offense. Virginia's really good. Um, they're kind of being slept on. And I'm going to go with Virginia in an upset here. I think North Carolina is closer to like a 7-5, and 8-4 team. Wait, is this hoops or football? 
Uh, both. Okay. They're actually combining the two teams. Uh, number 19, Arizona State. At number 23, BYU. Uh, I'll take the Big 12 brethren. Uh, yeah. BYU. Repping well. They just beat Utah last yeah, I was, week. I was going to say, two big wins. I mean, they beat Arizona, beat Utah. I, I'm not sure people realize how hard a schedule year in, year out BYU plays. It's actually kind of ridiculous yeah. at times, and I think it rivals Power 5 competition. So, uh, to me, it's a very natural transition for them to step up in the Big 12. Uh, again, I see this as very close to a, a 50-50 game, and it feels like BYU might have just played a couple 50-50 games. So, the uh, gambler in me would say, hold on a sec. Do you really think they're going to do that three times in a row? They just did it twice, but uh, I think Jaron Hall has been impressive at quarterback. Let's see what BYU does. I'll take BYU. I'm going to go with Arizona State. I just, that that playing with fire, and especially coming off a game where you beat your biggest rival, and things are going to be flying high. You know, it might be a little of a an emotional hangover after that one. Arizona State's a really good team. Yeah. The defense is really good. Jaden Daniels um, is really good at the quarterback position for the Sun Devils. So I'm going to take ASU, and uh, Herm Edwards gets him into the top 15 after this week. Nevada at Kansas State. I love Nevada in this one. Nevada, Nevada. I still don't know how to say it years later, but you know, you know what's funny. So I actually, um, my parents have some good friends who live in Nevada, and they will Nevada. always tell me. No, they will always tell me. Like they say Nevada, but they will always tell me. No matter what you say, you're going to get a portion of even the people in state who get mad at you. Okay. So there is no consensus way to say it, which is very silly. Uh, well, I'm going to say Nevada because say I think I want. like that better. Carson Strong. I would only judge you if you said Oregon like Lou Holtz says it, where he says Oregon. Okay, yes. Yeah, I, well, that's I don't not do that. Okay. Well, look, in terms of liking one thing more than the other, I like Carson Strong a lot more than I like Will Howard. Mm-hmm. I think that's the matchup that swings this matchup for me. Kansas State started the year well last year, including when Will Howard, like right when he took over, but very... I don't even know if it was under the radar, just the cliff that that offense dropped off on. Uh, I love Deuce Vaughn. I think they have a number of playmakers, both sides of the ball. I think their defensive line is really impressed. They came out and absolutely is shellacked the right word. Uh, Stanford just dominated that game. But to be honest, I just... I don't trust Kansas State's offense to score. They opened as a slight, very slight, I think, two-point home underdog or something like that. Uh, Give me Nevada in this one. Nevada. Oh, man. I keep going back and forth with this one. I'll just say that Deuce Vaughn goes off and has like 200 yards, and that's the only way to do it. And they hold Carson Strong enough. I mean, there have been some mock drafts that have come out of late that have, I think CBS Sports had Carson Strong like number two overall this next year. And if if that is the guy he looks like, then I'm taking Nevada, but I'll I'll go with Kansas State here. Mm -hmm. Big game for Deuce Vaughn. All right. Bonus. Nebraska is getting 22 points. At Oklahoma on a former uh, Big 12 showdown, now Big 10 SEC showdown. Yes. in the Yeah, I was going to say the yeah. Big 10 SEC challenge. <laughs> yeah. um, give me the SEC team mm. beating the Big 10 team. Look, Nebraska. SEC I, speed kills, man. <laughs> Nebraska did cover the ridiculous line we pointed out in the bonus pick uh what, like a, a couple weeks back. But, yeah, I think Oklahoma comes out with a vengeance. Now, I love that everyone hates that this game is at 11 a.m. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it feels like every Kansas game has been at 11 a.m. for like the last however many years when you get into conference mm. play, although this one is at what like 230 so well I mean Kansas had such a high viewed game last Friday against Coastal Carolina they're obviously the prime time <laughs> 230 sorry Oklahoma yeah move but, over bud how about that by the way the, what <laughs> the most watched game on ESPN2 yeah, in like two years <laughs> against Coastal Carolina but yeah I mean I, I'll take Oklahoma to cover just because I think I think Lincoln Riley has something to show uh when he's angry and I think he is currently mm. angry about the start time of that game Okay, that is a, a fair one. And I think when Nebraska's been angry, it's actually been bad. Like, yeah. remember last year, they were angry there wasn't going to be a football season. And they probably shouldn't have wanted one. 
because it didn't go well. All right, so I'm going to go uh, Oklahoma as well. That is our game picks for the week. We're going to take one final timeout. When we come back, we'll play a little good idea, bad idea. We'll have our further KU game preview and give our final predictions. With Scott Jason, I'm Derek Johnson for our KLWN pregame, brought to you by Mama's Tamale Shop. Don't forget to go out to Mama's on 9th in Louisiana. $2 tacos. Kiss crew. We'll be there till 2 o'clock. Mama's Tamale Shop is the place to go before the KU football game. It's right there, 9th in Louisiana. They have delicious empanadas and tamales, the namesake as well. I love the uh, uh, carnitas uh, tacos, which you can get today for $2, and all the tacos are $2 as well. Four different flavors of margaritas. They have an outdoor patio with some uh, different old arcade games there and TVs for you to watch the game. So you can stop by, just whether it's grabbing a bite of food before you go to your tailgate or hanging out there before you go to the game. Mama's Tamale Shop, perfect place to go. And if you get there uh, before 2 o'clock, you can see the 105.9 Kiss Crew and maybe get some uh, free goodies like a T-shirt or uh, other things that we have. We have plenty of things, so go check them out. All the things. Yeah, all the things. With Scott Chasen, I'm Derek Johnson here. So KU playing Baylor at mm-hmm. 2.30 here. KU is... A, I mean, it's not a giant underdog. They're they're not as much of an underdog, about a touchdown better than the Coastal Carolina game. But still, it would take a lot of things to go right for them to probably win this game. So KU wins this game if what? I think for me, the run game gets going. Uh, this has been a struggle the first two weeks of the year. And, and look, Kansas is not going to win exclusively by the run game. You need Jason Bean to make big plays. You need lots of things to go right. I'll try not to take your Kansas will win if, as I'm listing off all those possibilities. But, <laughs> Just list everything. <laughs> But, but you need that run game. You need it to, to limit possessions. It's not so much about winning time of possession. It's about winning the battle of possessions and playing a lower possession game, maximizing your offensive possessions, giving your defense a breather, uh, and, and being able to move the ball on the ground. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki talked this week about sh- uh, predictable situations, not just short yardage, but being in situations where they know you're going to throw and how much easier it is to rush the passer or send up a certain, uh, to scheme up a certain stunt or blitz or do something because you know what the other team is going to do. Kansas has to stay out of those uh, situations, and one of the easiest ways to is just to run the ball effectively, to get two, three, four yards every time you're putting it on the ground and then maybe break one or two big plays. Uh, I think those opportunities have been there. I think, uh, as has been the case for a while now, they've been a guy or two away from having those big plays happen. And so uh, you saw in Jason Bean's 46-yard touchdown run, which was a designed run, what it can look like when everyone is doing their job blocking. Tory Lachlan blocked, Mason Fairchild blocked, Luke Grimm blocked, everyone on the offensive line was doing their job. So if you do that, I think you have the chance for a good offensive performance. I think you actually have a chance to win this game. I'll say if they play mistake-free, fundamentally sound football. I know that's kind of a vague way of viewing it, but here's what I mean by that. Um, On one hand, the turnover battle. KU's done a good job taking care of the ball so far. Can you continue to do that against a team who's probably going to cause even more chaos and disruption than any of the other two have? And on top of that, can you cause that chaos and disruption and win that turnover battle and be a plus two in that game that gives you a couple extra possessions to go down there and get an easy score? That's part of it. Special teams, I view as being fundamentally solid, and that's obviously a key, as I've mentioned. And the other thing is, we saw KU struggle a little bit uh, in the tackling avenue last game against Coastal Carolina, so... Be more fundamentally sound with the little things like tackling and avoiding penalties. And and if they do that, then I think they have a real good chance to win. On the other side of things, Baylor obviously a favorite here, so it's a little easier to conjure up ways that they can win. Uh, But Baylor wins if what? I think if Baylor can make Kansas' defense look like it did in the Coastal Carolina game uh, compared to that season opener. Because I think week one... Derek, you and I, I think most of us in media, we were thinking, hey, this Kansas defense looks like it could be a lot better than we thought. 
week two. I think a lot of us were thinking this Kansas defense looks a lot worse than we thought. And, and so I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. But for Baylor, this isn't going to be the, the walkover kind of matchup it is like when you play every school that starts with Texas and then has another word that ends with S and you just <laughs> rotate through opponents. Um, I'm not sure how many of those there are left. But I, I think, you know, for Baylor, it's, it's what can you do with your run game? What can you do with your quarterback, especially the dual threat stuff, to make Kansas— I guess look confused, look out of position to stress the young defensive backs. I think that's what it's about for Baylor because I think Baylor knows Kansas is not going to score 55 points on it. That's why I didn't say Kansas wins this game if Jason Bean looks like a Heisman quarterback because, quite frankly, I don't expect Jason Bean to go out and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. I I, I don't see that happening. But what I think is a more realistic avenue for Kansas to win is a clock control, slow it down, get that run game going, and sort of control things differently game, kind of like a throwback smash-mouth game. And the flip side of that for Baylor is if you're just getting the ball and scoring and big chunk play, big chunk play, and just moving and moving— it's really, really hard to beat a team like that. So there are a number of ways that you could say Baylor will win if, including, you know, if they get off the bus correctly with their entire <laughs> roster right. intact. But I think the big one for them is can you make Kansas's defense look like it did in the Coastal Carolina game where you're saying, hey, maybe these guys are trying, maybe they're in the right spots sometimes. They just don't have that kind of extra gear or extra level to make that big play right now. I think that would be the area. For so them. I have two different answers for this. One of them, it would just be the opposite of what about uh, I said with Kansas. Yeah. If Baylor doesn't lose the turnover game, I have sure. a hard time seeing them lose. But a more simple way of viewing this for me, if Baylor scores 30 points – they're winning this game. Yeah. I have a very hard time believing Cave can get 30. And honestly, I'm tempted to say that number even lower at like 24 points, maybe even 20 points. Because KU, even as impressive as they looked at times on offense against Coastal Carolina, you still just scored 22 points. Yeah. And in your two games, you're averaging, what, 19 and a half through two games. And that was against defenses, one an FCS defense. The other, Coastal Carolina on ESPN SP Plus coming into the week was in the 60s, I believe, on the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball. They were more an offensive team. Baylor is a top 20 defense. So if Baylor scores 20 points, it's going to be tough for KU to even reach that mark because of that. If Baylor scores 30, I think it's a for sure win. If they score 20, I think they're going to actually feel still pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I, and I would just add one more thing to that. You know, it's almost back to the Kansas will win if section. But Kansas will win if it gets some fourth down variance yes. to finally swing yeah. back the other way. Or conversely, and that Bay- could add more to the offense. Yeah. yeah. Conversely, Baylor will win if Kansas still can't get mm-hmm. a fourth down. Because what what I think we've learned watching football for, um, and I use the collective we as in like every single person in this nation and many others, that fourth downs are such a weapon, right? If you know you have four plays to get 10 yards— boy, you can do a lot of special things that are different than if you only have three plays to get those 10 yards. And so um, I just think it allows you to take more risks. It allows you to be more aggressive on third down. It allows you to take chances about potentially scoring more points. It takes pressure off your kicking game. Uh, That's another part of it to me. I I think Kansas needs to do better on fourth down. And conversely for Baylor, Baylor will certainly make sure it wins if Kansas can't get a fourth down because that's been an issue all year. Scott Chasen, I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to good idea, bad idea here. And again, go out to Mama's Tamale Shop. Uh, I'll let you have the first one. Good idea, bad idea for you. Okay. Not playing at 11 a.m. for Kansas football. Oh, um, for this week specifically, bad idea because of the fact that, as you may notice, we're recording this in a studio, and that's because I'm, I have to get out to uh, a Baker football game, which I do their play-by-play for. If it was 11 a.m., we would actually be out to be there, be able to be out at Mama's Tamale Shop live. But again, the Kiss Crew's out there live, so go out anyway, and you can still experience the two-dollar tacos. So for this one specifically, actually bad for once, but generally 
Not playing at 11 a.m., great, wonderful, fantastic. And I actually think 2.30 is the best time for KU to play yeah. in my eyes because then you don't have to worry about, oh, but do I have to pay attention to Kansas over this great night game yeah. going on? And I get it. There's usually other good games on in the afternoon, but I actually love it. The ideal time for students, at least when I was a student, I yeah. felt like it was 2.33, something in that range. I, I don't know if they actually played any games at 3, but just those <laughs> whatever the early afternoon kickoff games are, um, mostly because you still get your night. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wake up early. Uh, I remember being a student one game. I woke up early, and I didn't realize there was a KU game on. This was before my media days, and I flipped on the TV, and Kansas was losing to West Virginia, and Andrew <laughs> Wiggins had 41 points. And I was like, whoa, I've missed, uh, I've missed a lot. So, yeah, I, I would say generally bad idea not playing at 11 a.m., but Derek, you are missed. Um, as I am currently sitting apart from you in real life, but in in past life I was sitting Uh. next to you. All right, uh, I'll give you the second one. Mm -hmm. KU, you mentioned this with the fourth down variance. KU continuing to be aggressive on fourth down despite the fact they're just one of eight. Good idea, bad idea? I would say good idea. I I think Kansas needs to maximize the, uh, I don't know if edge areas or or like the boundaries of efficiency uh, of things you can do to, to score more. Kansas needs to maximize each of the little advantages it can take. And I think there are a few areas where you can do that against Big 12 teams. One that I think a few Big 12 teams have figured out as of late is running the ball. We've seen Big 12 uh, teams really rely on their run game to set up their offense, knowing that so many of the other teams in the conference have kind of gone the other direction, right? And they've gone so much into the passing game that defensives have then adapted to not have that kind of heavier personnel. Now all of a sudden you got a guy who can run the ball and Puka Williams is rushing for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. Uh, even as a true freshman, he's doing that. So um, I-, I think from that perspective, Kansas needs to maximize the little advantages that it can do uh, that can allow you to win a game, take control of a game. I think fourth downs are one of them. Now they have to be more effective. Play calling in some cases have to be better. I think Kansas got scared out of a play call in one instance. They uh, did like this quick huddle thing where you line your center up uh, on the line. It and actually have... worked against South Dakota. Yeah, it, it well, did, but it, yeah. it wasn't spotted correctly, yes. but it did work. Um, but where you line up only your center, you keep everyone else in the huddle, then you rush everyone up, and it's under center, so everyone knows what's going to happen to quarterback sneak. You hike it, quarterback sneak, first down. Now, in the Coastal Carolina game, Coastal Carolina called timeout. Kansas came back and, and went like with a shotgun running play, which is, um, I mean, that's the David Beatty era in a nutshell, is uh, you know them trying to punch the ball in from short yardage in the shotgun, and it's just not working. So, um, good idea, be more aggressive. Bad idea, calling that play ever again. I 100% agree. And, you know, the other fourth down play was good. I You just dropped it. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's going to turn around. So, I, I agree. That is a fantastic idea. All right, give me another one. All right, good idea, bad idea. I'm, you wrote this one in there, so I'm going to give this one to you, and then we'll get to a more serious one. Playing Ochai Abaji at wide receiver. <laughs> good idea, bad idea. Um, Great idea. Wonderful idea. We saw how physically gifted he looked. And, you know, he's already, what, 6'5". I don't know how much he weighs. but Give it a guess. Um, two. 10. Okay, that's pretty good. I was ready to okay. make fun of you if you were way too high or way too low. 140. Um, <laughs> but he's a heck of an athlete. He's obviously fast. I don't know what he'd run in terms of like 40 time. Maybe like a 4.5. I don't no. know. No? He'd be slower than a 4.5. 4.6? Four four yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he's got a high vertical. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And he'd be your tallest receiver. Is LJ Arnold 6.4, six, 6.5? Six, yeah. He'd be at least tied with him. Um, but with probably a better vertical to go with it. I don't know. Great idea. You don't have to play him every play. Hey, but Mark like, Vital's on the Chiefs now, isn't yeah, that Yeah, why not? You know, it's better to have him than not have him, right? What is it about Baylor guys, by the way? Putting a trio of basketball Rico players gathers. in the football. Uh, there's Who's the other one? Mark Vital. And- no, they had another, um, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm blanking on the name now. He scored against Kansas. He had a receiving touchdown against Kansas a few years ago. I just remember they had that like 450-pound like, fullback. 
mm-hmm. who was like also I think he was a defensive tackle or a tight end maybe, and he scored he scored a touchdown too. He was like 450 pounds. All right, we'll we'll come back to this one maybe. Okay. Hit me with the next one. Okay, next one is Jason Bean gets the most carries for KU. Good idea or bad idea? I'm gonna say not just bad idea. I'm gonna say really bad idea. Wow. And I'm, I'm gonna say that I think Jason Bean needs carries. Mm-hmm. I think he needs chances to be effective. I, I think he needs to run 10, 15 times a game. I I think it is imperative. For two things. One. I think Kansas has got to figure out its stable of running backs to where you have one guy who is clearly the number one guy, and quite frankly right now that looks like Devin Neal. I think you need to figure out who the best guy at running the wide zone is and give that guy the most chances. Second, I think you have to be protective of Jason Bean's health. I think you have to pick his spots. He gets credited for a carry every time he's sacked or tackled in the backfield. That goes to that total. I don't think you want that total getting up too high to where he's taking a bunch of hits. So Jason Bean running, designed runs even, absolutely. Yes, completely on board. Ten times a game, whatever, awesome. But should he be leading this team in carries? I'm going to say bad idea, and I'm going to say very bad idea because I think that will end up with him. That that only ends up one way typically, which is the quarterback getting injured. No one wants to root for that. No one wants to see that, of course. But that's kind of what the history of the track record, especially at that position, is you have to protect those guys. Yeah, I think it's a bad-ish idea just because I agree with you in the injury perspective, and he's not like Tim Tebow, Colin Klein, this like fullback playing quarterback, yes. basically, who can take the load of giving you 20, 25 carries in a game. The only, like, I guess, exception to that for me is the fact that, you know, what happens if you do continue to split running back carries and Jason Bean, by having... 10 carries in the game ends up with the most carries. Like, I wouldn't count that. But I do know what you mean by this. It's, yes. Can he have 22 carries in a game? And that's not really ideal for you. Did you find the Baylor stat? I, I can't find it. So it's okay. uh, there's a small possibility I made it up, but I'm pretty sure the guy <laughs> dunked on a basketball goal on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And boy, am I upset that I can't figure out who it was. Okay. Well, uh, last-minute predictions here for Baylor and Kansas, who covers the spread. The over-under is 49.5. The spread is, uh, I believe, 18, 19 points in this mm-hmm. one. What do you got? I think something in the range of 34 to 10. Uh, I think Baylor looks good. I think Kansas' offense So struggles. Baylor covers in the under. Yeah, I think, and maybe I'm not giving Kansas enough credit. Maybe maybe 34-17 or something like that, which I think would maybe just flip on the— Got to uh, pick one. <laughs> I know. So uh, I'll take Baylor covering, but I, whatever, it, you can work out the math. <laughs> I, I, I see Kansas scoring a couple touchdowns, I guess, in this game, but I, I don't see Kansas getting across that 20-point margin just because I'm giving respect to the Baylor defense. Now, if Kansas's offense does, I think that's a great sign of progress. I think you feel pretty happy coming off that game. Average score of this one, the last 11, Baylor's won all 11, is 48-12. to 12. Baylor 38, Kansas 10, Baylor covers, and it hits the under. I I don't view this as a game that is, I don't know, just one in KU's wheelhouse, unfortunately. But I still think there's going to be some positives we take away as we did in the Coastal Carolina game. So it's easy as that. He's Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. Any final remarks before we go? Yeah, Derek, just one final remark. The computer has revealed ish, ish. Wayne Wright, you may remember. I remember touched, him playing basketball. Touchdown catch against Kansas. He also had a touchdown against Iowa Did State. Really? This guy had four career receptions. Two of them went for touchdowns. One of them, the first one, was against Kansas, a 38-9 Baylor win. So I'm not crazy. I did remember a wow. basketball player playing in that game. That is my final thought for this one to take you into the preview. Okay, final. good call. Ish Wainwright just signed with the Toronto Raptors this year, apparently, too. So that happened. I guess uh, Ish Wainwright <laughs> trivia here at the end of this pregame show brought to you by Mama's Tamale Shop. He's Scott Jason. I'm Derek Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks for actually KU Road Game and then the next KU Home Game after that. Again, stop by Mama's Tamale Shop. There till 2 o'clock is the Kiss Crew giving away free stuff, and it's $2 tacos all day long.